Trigger warning. This episode explores sensitive topics regarding mental health. Audio discretion is advised. from our table to yours. Today's episode is about mental health. Yes. And we have a very special guest at our mesa here today, the lovely Jennifer Miranda, who has been my bestie friend since we were 14. Yeah, like 14 years old, yeah. Yeah, we met freshman year of high school. We've been pretty much inseparable since. And uh, today, she is our resident expert on mental health, as she just graduated with her master's. So please, Tell us about yourself. Hello, hello. It's nice to be here. Thank you for everybody having me here today. Um, but yeah, no, I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, and I started off first moving to Arizona, and then ended up in Florida, and now I'm here in Chicago with these lovely, lovely people. Yes. She is in no relation to Lynn Manuel. No I relation. Um, I but they are both Puerto Rican. However, we did see Lynn. In yeah, Hamilton, Puerto Rico. In Hamilton, Puerto Rico. We were there in the flesh. In watching Lehman and Miranda. On closing weekend, in fact. Closing weekend. Um, Quite a memory. Yeah. Absolutely. Epic. And Jen is a big friend to all of us now. Yes. Um, big friend to the Miratinidad family. She's been to the live show that we did um, back in 2019. Um, and we just wanted to talk a little bit about mental health today. It's obviously very important. And in the Latinx community, it's a very taboo subject to this day. Um, and we probably need it not more than any more community, but we need it just as much. Yeah. And I think that it's really important the more that we highlight these stories to um, make it be a part of our company as well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Miss Jennifer, you're in the hot seat. <laughs> I'm in the hot seat. <laughs> yeah. Hey, right. what's the first question? <laughs> okay, so tell us a little bit about what got you started into mental health, um, especially like coming in as an immigrant. When did you decide that you wanted to major in this? How did you come about it? Yeah, so it kind of all started, I feel like it's something that came to me rather than like me looking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in high school, I just kept getting told by people like, oh my gosh, you just have this presence and like, I feel like I can trust you with all these things. I'm like, all right, that's weird. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, cool. But it just like kept happening and happening with like different people that I didn't even know and like strangers. So I'm mm-hmm. like, all right, cool. Mm-hmm. And I took this AP psychology class and I just became obsessed with it. It was like that one class that like I didn't have to study for and I'm not that person. Yeah. <laughs> like I have to study to get good grades. Mm-hmm. And it was like freaky. And I was like, all right, I really like this. So I went to college and I decided to major in psychology, but like I kind of just liked everything that had to do with psychology. Mm-hmm. I never really put together like people being like, hey, you should be a therapist. I'm like, oh, shut up. Like, just being <laughs> nice. Um, until I started learning a little bit more about like anxiety and depression and like all these things that are like across cultures. I'm like, huh, that's actually sounds a little bit important. And it mm-hmm. sounds like yeah. it's something that affects every single human being that there is. And I kind of just fell in love with it there. Um, It was especially important because I didn't grow up learning about these things. It was kind of like, till I got to college, I was like, oh, this is what anxiety looks like. This is what depression looks like and everything in between. Um, It was never a conversation I ever had like growing up whatsoever. So it kind of just opened like this whole can of worms and like, okay, 
it's actually put these two things together and take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. And here I am. <laughs> Absolutely. I know when I first met Jennifer, she was very passionate about wanting to deliver babies, be an obstetrician. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, that was yeah. your track for a while. She was very focused on going to med school and being an obstetrician. But when you fell in love mm-hmm. with, sh- with psychology, I remember so distinctly, like, no, hearing you say that you still wanted to work with mothers and children, mm-hmm. but in this lens of sh- psychology, and she actually specializes in postpartum mm-hmm. care. Yeah. Yes. So that's really cool, especially yeah. for somebody like you who there are very few Latinx therapists, mm-hmm. uh, mental Latina health providers, therapists. Latina yeah. therapists, mental health providers, especially, I'm sure, in that specific specialty. Yeah. yeah. So you're definitely bridging a gap. You're definitely filling a need. Um, and I'm so proud of you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I yeah. think it's really um, important, too, like you said, like not growing up hearing all of this stuff, because I remember growing up, I feel like, especially in like the immigrant sector, where it's like, we don't have time to think mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to think about so many other things. We have to, like, there's no time for being sad. There's yeah. no time for yeah. taking time to take care of yourself. And I, I see the clock or like the gears turning recently with this new generation. And I'm like so happy to see it. You know? Yeah. So many people our age and like a couple ages above us are really making a point to being like, I'm going to break like the trauma cycle. Like mm-hmm. I see what's going on with you and I know what's going on with me. And like, I can dissect things that are happening within the community and I want to like do something about it and just instead of just kind of like accepting like this is what it is. It doesn't have to be that, you know, like we can all grow. And mm-hmm. heal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that brings me back to like when I started therapy when I was a child. Like it was yeah. this thing we didn't talk about it like in our mm-hmm. in our communities. But when I did move to the States, like my parents were like, Okay, this is kinda like a hard thing. Let's try to see if we can talk to to somebody. And a lot of the times in moving to the States there's a lot of challenges and you know, in our communities, they say, get over it. Like, yeah. it's just, you know, like, it's just life. You just have to do what you have to do. And mind you, I was like 13, 14 years old. Puberty. Um, puberty. Mm-hmm. All these rough times. Yeah. Rough times. Yeah. That could be a whole episode in itself. I won't get into There's it. There's probably podcasts on puberty. <laughs> I'm sure there are. Yeah. yeah. God. But it was, it was really hard. And I remember when I first sat down, I was like, this is weird. I was like, mm-hmm. who are you to say anything mm-hmm. about me? And like, only the crazy, like, los locos, like, yeah. go to therapy. So I was like, oh, I must be really messed up now if my parents think this is the place I have to be. And it was weird because I sat down, I talked about how I was feeling, and she was the first person to, like, validate what I was going through. Mm-hmm. She was like, what you're going through sucks. Like, you just moved to a whole new country. Like, yeah, it's a U.S. territory, Puerto Rico, but, like, it's a whole different thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. yeah. The, the culture shock. Especially oh, in so Arizona. Yeah, in yeah. Arizona, which is completely different than, like, my experience in Florida and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. But she validated those feelings, and I was like, oh, my gosh, that is so weird. Like, what? I'm not I'm crazy. Not crazy. Yeah. I'm not crazy for feeling how I do. So, yeah, you bring a, a great point with that. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. Was, so. your, um, was your therapist white or a person of color? That one, she was white, which actually added on to it. I was sitting there, I was like, who the heck is this? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you, have, you know nothing about what I'm going through, yeah, like all this course. stuff, um, which really, really adds to a point that I want to emphasize that a lot of the time people think like, oh, I can only go to a therapist that's of the same race and they yeah. go with stuff. And actually that experience really taught me, it's like, okay, like maybe... Maybe I can expand a little bit more. Um, totally. Mind you, yeah. every therapist is different. Mm-hmm. Everybody has different training. 
Um, but she was, she was pretty amazing and she did help me through a lot. Um, and as an adult, I also saw another white therapist, which was an amazing experience too. That's so great. that's great. Yeah. And also yeah. I guess it depends on like what you need and what you're looking for mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a therapist and what, what it is that you feel like you want to work on in yourself. Um, especially like now, like I'm like older and now I'm looking for therapy and I'm like, I want a Latina therapist, but maybe it doesn't have to be a Latina therapist. Yeah. It could just be a brown therapist, but that's also because the community mm-hmm. I'm in right now, I feel very validated in my experience. It's yeah. not something that I'm necessarily seeking and I'm seeking in other internal factors. So, yeah. but it just depends on what part of your growth you're in. I like heard once that like therapy is like dating, like you can just like <laughs> yeah. try a couple people mm-hmm. out, you know, until you find like the right person. And mm-hmm. that's like, okay. Yeah. Cause I was always so afraid that I was like, Oh my God, if I don't like this therapist then either I'm not cut out for mm-hmm. therapy or this therapist is horrible and then everything is horrible, you know? Yeah. And then just why not? But like, that's not necessarily true. Like yeah. they totally. could work for somebody else. Yeah. I, I think it's very interesting because there are like so few therapists of color or like people mm-hmm. in the mental health field um that are people of color because it's just like it's such a rigorous process oh God, yeah. like mm-hmm. I mean, you can speak to that but your yeah. grad program <laughs> and i'm sure the yeah. in yeah. those higher levels too that it can be very elitist yeah oh yeah, yeah. and yeah. so like i i grew up in like a predominantly white town and so growing up i had like white therapists and it never even crossed my mind that like i could have like a yeah. lot of yeah. mm-hmm. i was just yeah. like that's not an option like everywhere i'm seeing like, all these lists they don't have them. Yeah. Um, and I didn't realize that that was like affecting like my healing process mm-hmm. until I did get a Latina therapist. And then I was like, oh, I don't have to like explain my culture to you. Mm-hmm. I don't have to explain this like othering that's been done to me. You're not like questioning things because not because you're like, you don't like agree with it but because you just simply don't understand it and so that was something that I thought was like really interesting but it's not like those white therapists like didn't help me in ways Mm -hmm. that they knew how to but it's Mm -hmm. just like sometimes it really is it there's no blanket statements that can be made it's like person to person Mm -hmm. basis like it's just some people work well with certain people some people have specialties Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. you and some people like are really based on like community or really based on like gender or sexuality and stuff and so I always thought it was like a really interesting thing because I I didn't even like clock that that was a thing and I've been Mm -hmm. in therapy for years you know I'm kind of low-key in a weird way because um the first time I ever went to therapy was actually family therapy when my family was going through a really hard time before my parents divorced um and throughout that time there were like individual sessions that we had with our therapist and then there were like group sessions with the whole family and then even when we had moved to florida i would have checkups with him on the phone Mm -hmm. um and he was a bilingual man a dominican man um who i knew had had sessions with my mother my father my brother like right yeah he knew he knew the ins and outs of absolutely (laughs) everything so now that i'm an adult and trying to seek out therapy for myself I've done I work at a Starbucks and Starbucks mm-hmm. does um this like Lira program there's a mental health program where you can talk to somebody you get x amount of sessions for x amount of time that's awesome and you can talk to someone over the phone Ooh. which is great and I've tried that out but it does feel so weird in the mm-hmm. sense that uh am I about to really open up about what's on my heart to this perfect stranger that yeah. I can't even look at someone I haven't built rapport exactly with. in the sense that the first time I saw my childhood therapist Ramiro I was like six or seven right so like you were more trusting exactly I was super trusting and like 
the Spanglish was a thing. Like, mm-hmm. uh, it's one of those things that, like, when I was telling him a story, I could very easily jump from language to language, and the through line was followed. And it was never, never something I had to worry about was communicating myself properly to Ramiro, helping him understand my family dynamics. I knew he got it. Like, all of these things that I'm afraid to start at ground zero yeah I have a couple of thoughts on that and a question because I uh, similar to what Jen was saying I've had positive experiences with white therapists I've had positive experiences with therapists of color um, but I also think back to the the time in my life when I had those white therapists and I was already in a point in my life where I was ready to talk about mental health I had already made progress with my family on talking about mental health because I also grew up with the whole, you know, terapias para los locos. Like, you know, everybody has that story. Everyone's heard that before. And I know it's difficult for the older generation of Latin Americans to talk about it because they were raised that way. And, you know, it's it's hard for them to see their kids suffering and they think to themselves, like, I give you everything, you know, like, how can you be sad, you know, and you have to explain to them, it's chemical, I'm sorry, it's not that I'm ungrateful, you know. But I'm wondering um, if if I hadn't been in that point of my life where I was comfortable talking about it with my family, I'm thinking about kids who have older generation Latin American parents who have a hard time talking and addressing these mental health issues. As a therapist, you know, how do you help, as a white therapist especially, if you don't understand that, how do you help these kids deal with that, talking to their parents about it? When the kid keeps saying like, they don't wanna hear it, they don't understand. You know, so and I'm not saying it's not possible because there are plenty of white therapists out there that are familiar with that part of the culture and can deal with that in that way. Um, But I'm wondering, Jen, like for you, you know, if a kid comes to you and says, like, I definitely have this mental health issue and my parents just like won't even acknowledge that it's real or, you know, they keep telling me I just have an attitude or, you know, it's like, what do you say to them? Like, how do you how do you go through that with them and explain to them? the best way to open that line of discussion with parents that are just a little bit, you know, stubborn about it. Yeah. Well, I was that kid once, you know, Mm -hmm. where I, Mm -hmm. my parents, I was saying like, I'm going through a lot right now, like, especially with this move. And Mm -hmm. that's like where I go back to that moment where that one therapist who was white, um, validated those feelings. It was like, you know what, like, this is a lot that you're going through. And how do we communicate that with your parents? Um, in those moments, it was more about you have to meet the client where they're at, how they're feeling, what are they going through, and validate what they're going through because this is the relationship between you and them, not necessarily the parents themselves. Um, and they, they also know their parents the best. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we can't control other people as much as we wish we could. And there was this magic pill that we can control, like, yes, these parents are going to be perfectly accepting. Um, but the primary goal in that is to make sure that that person, that client, that kid, is has somebody they can talk to, somebody they can go through for these moments and take it step by step by then. Um, unfortunately, it's not like a cookie cutter situation in which like, okay, this is what you do and like the parents will understand and this is what's gonna happen. This PowerPoint, show them <laughs> <that>. <laughs> Here it is, so, like, all this stuff that they're going through and you're gonna do them perfectly right now. Yeah. Um, no family's different or, or the same, sorry. Um, no family's the same. They all have their own story. They all have their own unique um, quirks and characteristics. Um, so it's just making sure my priority would be just focusing on the person that's in front of you mm-hmm. and just validating those moments there and taking it from there. Um, and sorry, there's no cookie cutter answer to that. Yeah. yeah. We all wish, don't we? <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you're right. Focusing on, uh, focusing on the individual is definitely the most important part. And, you know, maybe they're not getting that validation from their parent, but that's why they're there to begin with, you know? Mm-hmm. So that makes sense to me. 
I mean, that kind of makes sense too. When when you start working on yourself, and this also comes with like the growth of getting older and getting to know who you are. But in general, when you start working on yourself, especially with a therapist, then you know your intentions and you know your heart. And since you're the person that knows the people you have relationships with, whether it be your parents, friends, significant other, whatever, um, since you know those people best, then you can be like, well, you know what? This is what I'm going to say to you. This is valid to me because this is what I'm going through Mm -hmm. and this is my life and my truth. Yeah. And you know how you will know that the limits of how you can deal with it of like, yeah. maybe you'll never understand, but this is the best way that I can mm-hmm. show you how to understand knowing what I know about you and knowing what I need from you. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing we can do. Yeah. And I, I've come to see that, that the older I get, and I start having conversations like that with my parents where I'm like, listen, this isn't me acting crazy, because I'm not 14 and 15 anymore. Yeah. So maybe like, the hormones were whack then. <laughs> Maybe the hormones are whack now, but I'm an adult, so I can choose to say whether they're whack or not. And I don't think they are. And this is how I feel. Uh-huh. And either it's yeah, not that. It's, yeah. Protecting your energy. Protect, Protect your energy. Your if 2020 taught us anything, it Protect was that. Protect your energy. Protect Absolutely. your energy. Protect your spirit. Absolutely. You have to. Um, I my my therapist and I were working through uh, like how to communicate with your family about like things that you're going through. And, like, them probably not responding in, like, the way that you want them to and, like, how to cope with that situation. And, like, what we really figured out is, the like, I'm a very emotional person. And so, like, whenever I feel the feelings, I feel mm-hmm. them real big. And so, yeah. and so like, in, in times of, like, not confrontation, but, like, communicating vulnerability and stuff, I tend to, like, let my emotions overtake me and we worked on like you have to figure out how to for me at least how to like be vulnerable without letting the emotions overtake you because of the way people have reacted in the past they see the emotions and then they put that label of like you're overreacting you're just yeah, being crazy mm-hmm. you're blowing it out of proportion so for me it was like okay find a way to be vulnerable but be like factual and wow. and be like this is what the situation is mm-hmm. this is how you make me feel by you doing x y and z and just be very like calm about it mm-hmm. and so like if that means writing notes on your phone mm-hmm. and like coming with like a script that you're going to prepare um but still being open with them because we talked about like you being open with people makes them want to be open with you too Mm -hmm. like people can only meet you where they're at Mm -hmm. unfortunately but like if you're showing them that you're willing to like be vulnerable with them then a lot of the times people are willing to be vulnerable with you too you know Mm -hmm. especially if you're talking about something that is difficult for you um and so that was something that really helped me that was so important mm -hmm. for me to hear today (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome girl i know that i'm i'm la llorona de my family like like, hands down pat i'm incapable of speaking about anything that matters to me emotionally physically Mm -hmm. mentally anything at all without crying yeah. Like, that's just my reality. If I care, I cry. Yeah. But, like, I am I am in my early 20s. I have been here uh, quite a while now. And to this day, if I'm talking to my father about something that is, like, heavy on my heart or whatever, and I just start sobbing, to this day, he's like, well, why are you crying? Yeah. As if he doesn't know me. As if he yeah. doesn't know that this is what I do. Yeah. <laughs> that this is how I... Um, but it's so crazy because I've literally always been this way. And, yeah. and <laughs> it's, not like, it's not like it's going it's, anywhere. It's natural, you know, but it's important to take a step back and yeah. really walk through maybe some of the points that I'm trying to make 
beforehand so that <laughs> the yeah. flood of emotions yeah. doesn't literally drop. Create a little yeah. tower point in your yeah, head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go through my points. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's Planning really- helps for sure. Like, it really does. And, yeah. like, the reason, like, we had to do that together is because, like, I wasn't able to, like, execute my points because I was, like, crying so yeah. much. And I was, like, <laughs> and I would I let them that. interrupt me and I would be, like, okay, I need to have a conversation with you about this and I need you to just let me finish it even if I'm, like, struggling through it, mm-hmm. I need you to, like, not make comments about me crying. Like, if I do, mm-hmm. I apologize. Okay, you shouldn't. <laughs> you I shouldn't have to, but, you know, like, so, like your father, my father's also very, like, he's like, ah, stop crying. <laughs> he's like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. You can tell me you don't have to yeah. cry. Yes, like, yes. just tell me you don't cry. And I'm yeah. like, but yes. this no. is how I feel. Yeah, it's not even, like, it's Latino men don't like to cry. Yeah. So. <laughs> my dad is not like, oh, my God, you're, like, crying. It's just, like, he's just, like, can we do this without it? Like, I know that you can do it without it. And I was like, I don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't know if I'm I like, can. let me just get it out. How many times have you seen your dad cry in your life? Oh, I think For me, it's like twice. Good I question. feel like. And he shook me both times. Good question. I feel like Damn. maybe like five, six times. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. I can picture the two times I've seen my dad cry. And Wild. it still shakes me to think yeah. of <laughs> But like, the reason that we did that was because it was like. I, ne- I needed to get my point across so much. Like, it was so frustrating to me mm-hmm. that people weren't hearing what I was saying. They mm-hmm. were just, like, taking what I was emotionally giving to them mm-hmm. and then not hearing the actual words of, like, I need you to do this for our relationship. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. this is what I need for, like, me to feel safe around you, for me to feel like I can, like, open up to you, for me to want to, like, reach out to you, etc. Yeah. And so, like, if that's not going to happen, then... I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's just this feeling of like stuckness and like I didn't want to be in that stuck place anymore. I was like I want to find a solution. Yeah. So like mm-hmm. I needed to figure out okay, how are how is this person going to best respond to mm-hmm. hearing that information? And like for some people it was like I couldn't be emotional. But like other people in my life that's not a problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. it is like figuring out your audience and then your audience and then, like, uh, like cater to them, you know? Yeah. And I think it's just, like, you have to you have to do that. But you find yeah. that all out in therapy. In, the th- in yeah, therapy, exactly. yeah. Like, I would have never known that before that. Yeah, yeah I things have... work differently for everybody. But yeah, go ahead. Oh, I have a question for you, Yes. <laughs> I might have an answer. Um, so I know that um, I've told you this before, and you didn't know, and so then we tried to look it up, that um, trigger warning. But Latinas have one of the highest suicide rates in the United States, Latina women, which makes sense if you come from immigrant parents who Mm -hmm. have all of this expectation on you. And I think like on social media, especially and in the media, we see this like whole girl boss, but like turned into a Latina waiver. They're like, you can do it, girl. You can be the first to graduate. You can be the this and the that and the that and the this. And um, that's a lot of pressure to put on someone, Mm -hmm. you know. So I wanted to ask you. What are some of the main things that you see um, working or well, that you've experienced as you being a Latina in grad school, but also like that you see in um, working with moms that are like Latinx or black or brown, as opposed to white women or white people that you see, like the difference in what are the main things that you talk about mm-hmm. in these sessions? Good question. <laughs> so many, so many, so many things. Wow. Um, but what stands out to me the most, um, I want to say in the vast majority of all the Latinx moms that I work with, um, we always have the conversation about what, it's, what does it mean to be in therapy? Mm-hmm. 
Like, what does that mean? What does it mean if we're taking medication? That's especially if we're in like pregnant or postpartum. I was like, there's this huge stigma just with going to therapy in the first place to taking medication. Mm-hmm. Three, if this is all happening during pregnancy or postpartum, it's like, oh my gosh, there's something wrong with me. Especially because we often have this message of like, oh, as a mom or like as a woman in a Latino household, like I'm supposed to have it together. I'm mm-hmm. supposed to know how to do all these things uh-huh. and like know how to take care of a baby and clean the house and cook. And, like, and people all this just stuff. think that that pregnancy and early motherhood should be the happiest time of your life. Yeah, yeah. and it's not just assumed. And it's, and it's mm-hmm. difficult. There's Absolutely. so many difficulties that come with it. A lot yeah. of changes very quickly. We mm-hmm. have this image that like once the baby's like placed on our like on our test, it's like, oh, magical moment, rainbows and butterflies. And like, I just know this little tiny human um, all of a sudden. And that's just not how it is for a lot of people. Um, it's actually more of a rare situation if it's an instinct um, connection that you have there. Um, but things that I've noticed is a lot of the times it's just having those conversations and like normalizing what it's like to be in therapy. And huge kudos for taking that step to go to therapy especially with the messages we get in society and like our parents and like our culture like just a huge step in itself because a lot of the times when I work with Latina women it's like this is the first time that they're talking to somebody it's like oh my gosh because I don't want to tell my family my family doesn't know I'm going to therapy my husband doesn't know I'm taking medication all these things so kind of talking about that that's something I've noticed much more in the Latinx community um, mind you, I do see that in like other cultures as well, but it's much more prominent um, from my own experience. Um, well, as you know, women in grad school, <laughs> being in grad school um, as a Latino woman, that was an interesting, <laughs> interesting experience. I want to say that's probably the moments in my life where I really started to notice more like I am the only person here that's not white. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and that happened over and over and over again. And it was such a interesting experiences at least that I can say um one of the most significant moments was in my very first class it was multicultural counseling um the, uh, my professor she goes okay all of the white people I need you guys to sit in the front of the room and talk about white privilege I'm like, hmm? <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> yeah so they all had a conversation about white privilege and all that stuff and it's like all right go sit down now all the non-white people go ahead and sit down and talk about white privilege and it was like four of us yeah. uh, in that that circle. Well, like with the white people, it was like 15. Yeah. yeah. So it was quite an experience. And I was like, well, this is what grad school is going to be like. That is so interesting. What, yeah. was, what was like the difference in those conversations? It was, I remember for the people of color, it was a lot of the talking about the hurt mm. and like all of the experiences we've had. While a lot of the white people, it was more about the guilt and like not knowing of like Absolutely. what it is which are completely valid points yeah. mm-hmm. from both experiences but that really opened my eyes mm-hmm. of like oh this is what it's like to be a non-white person in grad mm-hmm. school especially for counseling because yeah. and it, it's insane that you say that too because you know as much as you are latina women and a woman of color in your own right for you to be the only woman of color and you have a very close proximity to whiteness uh-huh. is mm-hmm. very alarming yeah um and I really hope we see a change in that. So yeah. keep fighting, mm-hmm. even though they're trying to keep us down. <laughs> no, we kudos. definitely need to keep fighting. Yeah, kudos to that professor. I, I loved her. She was amazing. Um, she was a professor of color, and she learned how to manage everything so well because it's a hard class to teach. That's of course, yeah. yeah. And that's really totally. important, too, that like, the class itself was taught by a person of color mm-hmm. yeah. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It must be hard to be a person of color 
teaching about multicultural things to a room of white oh, yeah. like, oh, a I'm lot sure. of people turn down that position like she was uh, yeah, yeah. She about it i mean that's like, reliving trauma mm-hmm. all the time oh yeah that was yeah <laughs> it could be a whole other episode of myself, that whole class and it, a lot of stuff happened that that um, yeah. class but mm-hmm. she was amazing she managed everything with grace and yeah i don't think anybody else could have done such a great job Absolutely. that's yeah. beautiful to hear honestly yeah, yeah. yeah. what are you gonna say tadwin I have a question about um, barriers. So I I consider myself a success story because, you know, me and my family were able to work our way to being open about talking about mental health, which was a big difference from like when I was really young. So that's awesome. And I celebrate that. But I also acknowledge that I have a lot of privilege. So when me and my family were ready to talk about it, therapy was accessible to me because I had things like healthcare and I didn't have to worry about a roof over my head and food on the table, you know, so I want to talk a little bit about the the barriers, and I, I'm wondering if maybe, Jen, you have some insight on this, or anyone else, you know, is free to answer as well, um, on accessibility for Latin American youth specifically, right? Like, because uh, a lot of them, if they don't have private health care, or they don't have access to health care at all, which is actually pretty common, unfortunately, um, you know, how, like, are there resources for them? And also when there are language barriers, you know, like getting them with the right therapist for that, and and the little like idiosyncrasies that we wouldn't think of, like someone that, you know, I, we talked about this like another time, like I was saying, um, you know, when someone, a Spanish speaking person says like tengo nervios to like someone who doesn't understand what that means might just be like, oh, that's something else. That's not depression. But they could very well be trying to say that they have like some sort of symptom, but there's just like a cultural difference there, you know, and then there's like the fear of separation for undocumented folks, um, you know, and even though there are like, some confidential like resources for them, like just the fear of it at all. Like I cannot send my kid there, you know, because what if they get separated from me and they get sent back or I get sent back, you know? So it's just this, you know, it's difficult. And I guess what I'm trying to ask is, have you seen an improvement in those resources for these people that have low accessibility? And, you know, over the years, have you seen that um, as of late? I know that definitely the younger generation is fighting for these things and I'm so proud of them for that. Um, but yeah, just, do you have any insight on that or the improvements that have been happening over the past few years? Yeah, I actually think that's one of the most frustrating areas because I ran into a lot of people that want to like get mental health like counseling and everything. And there's limited resources out there. Um, thankfully, like there are, they're just very hard to like bring out as like, Hey, we offer free counseling, yeah. or low cost, um, insurance. And I think every Therapist, doctor, anybody that is in any field that works with insurance will say insurance is a pain in the ass. They're yeah. they're horrible. Yeah. They are horrible. They're huge. Yeah. To do. I think yeah. insurance is a pain in the ass. They, <laughs> yes. Thank you. Absolutely. An insurance holder. Yes. <laughs> you know, the amount of times I wanted a therapist, like a certain therapist, but it wasn't covered. And so I had to switch a therapist I love for one that I didn't like that much. Like, oh, horrible. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many unnecessary barriers uh, to it. That just, There's no point. Like, I will get into a rant with <laughs> insurance. A lot of them will have to like approve if you're going to go see this therapist, like how many sessions do you get? It's like, they don't, they're not professionals. Like they're not mm. the ones determining that, but they do determine that. It's like, it's frustrating, uh, which adds on to us. Like, okay, like it's adding limitations that are unnecessary. We don't need it. We might have insurance, but my insurance doesn't want to cover it. They don't think I'm symptomatic enough. 
um, to do these. Things. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. I know. You're not sick enough. You're not sick enough to go. Yeah, that's like, disgusting. So yeah. you're gonna wait, wait for get, me to yeah. get yeah. 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 yeah, there's terrible. some insurance companies or some plans that will only cover if there's like suicidal ideation when there's homicidal ideation. It's like okay, so you're we're waiting. Yeah. For and this so we're dangerously in danger. We could have very easily prevented this at an earlier stage. And that's, you make a great point because one of the things that I like to emphasize about mental health is that it can be a preventative thing. You don't need to be going through something. You don't need to be having panic attacks to go and decide to go to therapy. We can go there from the beginning to try like when these things do come up, when I am having a panic attack, maybe now I have the tools to know what to do when that happens. Yeah. Um, which is a little point there, a little point. <laughs> But yeah, <laughs> a great point there. That because when, when we and Jen first became friends, I was kind of like, oh, therapy is great. I've never needed it. I'm a happy person. I love, <laughs> I love myself. I um, and then she was like, oh, you think you will need it because one day you're not going to feel this way. And then one day I was like, oh my God. And she's like, well, and I was like, yeah, you're right. What I say? She, she told you. Yeah, she did. But I, I think that's also a great way to reframe it. Back yeah, to it's just a way where, like, I picture, like, this little toolbox that we have, maybe a little shoebox or whatever, and then we go to therapy and we just add little things to it. And, like, different moments, different situations, we'll grab a tool that, like, helps us in that moment. Maybe the other ones are not effective in this moment, but, like, perhaps in the future they will. Mm-hmm. And, like, we'll be prepared for that. Um, but going back to your question about limitations, it's pain in the ass. <laughs> um, there are a lot of resources out there, but you really, really have to work for it, um, which is really unfortunate and really frustrating. Um, and especially that fear of undocumented folks. That's something I run into so many times. I will say like as a therapist, if somebody is undocumented and they're there, we don't, we don't say anything. That's not our business to share. That's not, no, we're here for you and whoever you are documented, undocumented, whoever it is. Um, so that's a safe space like to talk about any of those things um but yeah a lot of the times we just have to go look for resource centers and they will be able to provide some things or talk to your insurance and see what they provide if you don't have insurance again going back to those resource centers which i can provide i know some in illinois um but i'm in the bio yeah Yeah. absolutely we'll we'll put them there but it's a harder thing than it should be yeah um, absolutely and when this episode airs on our socials on our instagram we will uh, provide a little list of the mm-hmm. places we talk about and also places that we have found that are both safe for people with insurance mm-hmm. and people without um, because I think it's really important uh, to include that people don't really know where to go and mm-hmm. now yeah. in the media there's such like a this is what you do for here this mm-hmm. is what you do for there there's such an influx of information that it kind of feels like I don't know anything because I've been given everything yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, well going off of that so I built <laughs> I built a website. No, um, I, I thought it was really important. The fact that like we're such a community oriented company. Um, I was really pushing for the fact that we have a community resources page on our website mm-hmm. so that people can just, they don't have to look for these things. Like they know that like, this is a place where you can find assistance, whatever it may be. And um, so in that, I like in the creation of that, I did a lot of digging and I found um, some really cool re- like resources. Um, and one of them is called, it's this website called Therapy for Latinx. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's basically a directory of therapists and mental health advocates who are Latinx that you can like go through their profiles, see mm-hmm. what insurance gets covered by them, their location, do they do virtual, not virtual, like 
and it, it really goes in depth and I and like their whole thing was basically yeah. this of like there isn't access to this to just the general public like mm-hmm. it, you have to dig for this information yeah. so yeah. instead of you doing that let me take out the middleman for you here is like mm-hmm. here it is you don't need to like search for help like we are here to help That's <laughs> yeah. amazing. so be sure to check out our community yes. resources <laughs> so, page on yeah. the website yeah yes. so anything jen you have for me i'd be happy to post yeah, it i'll there. add a, i have a few resources in mind so and, that we can add them yeah. there when this episode airs, if you love the lovely Jennifer Miranda, she will be available to be <laughs> your therapist. Um, she obviously uh, centralizes on prenatal and postpartum. But in general, if you want to look at the resources, she's going to be working at Prickle Lodge Wellness. And we'll also include that in the bio and the website. Um, but yeah. yeah, she can't be our therapist because of conflict of interest. So <laughs> she should be yours. Because yeah. she's been giving us, she's, she's been, been giving, giving me therapy, therapy <laughs> since I was 14. Yeah, uh, truly, we truly, go way honestly. Back, but yeah. if um, she seems like the right type of professional for you, maybe reach out. Yeah. yeah. I, I do specialize in perinatal, so like it's pregnancy, postpartum, but I also do work with others. Like I do work a lot with anxiety, depression, and everything in between. So it's not just limited to that. I also do offer a sliding scale. So if resources or finances okay. are a concern, I don't want there to be a concern. So here yes. a, true angel. a true angel a true angel <laughs> wow. um i have a question kind of still regarding um not gatekeeping that's the wrong word what's it called <laughs> not gatekeeping uh just access like yeah. accessibility yeah. <laughs> girl i got where you were going yeah, but i was like there is no better word no i was Lord. like hmm, what is it um <laughs> accessibility um that something that I've noticed like being talked about more on the internet is accessibility to diagnoses mm-hmm. um, for people of color who like already in there as like on top of like just getting in the door of like getting those extra resources of like, okay, well, do I need to see a psychiatrist as well? Or do I need to see like a neurologist? Do I need to get any of like these testings done? And then like the accessibility of having that involved with insurance and like do I have to drive two hours away or whatever mm-hmm. like do they do phone calls um and like are they gonna refill my prescription on time or like is someone I'm gonna take this test and is someone actually gonna diagnose me with something um that like I genuinely do have all the symptoms mm-hmm. for but it's like not how a white person would be presenting because mm-hmm. there's obviously cultural like impact in that as well so like other people it just molds into a different thing. And that was something that I saw a lot this summer where like quarantine happened and people were noticing that like, oh, I have a lot of these symptoms of like ADHD and autism um, because I've been like self-isolating and I haven't been like masking a lot. And so like now all of these things that like these habits that I've built for like to be socially acceptable or whatever um, are like going away because I'm not in society anymore. <laughs> and so um, then they like try to get diagnosed and stuff and see like, hey, is there any way that I can like function better and like be healthier or whatever um, work on these because they're like debilitating to me. And so many people were like, no doctors were like listening to me when I was telling them, hey, I've done my research. I've like read medical journals. Like I've listened to like other people talk about these. They have the same symptoms. We just grew up in different, like, environments, and so it's, like, showing, it's presenting a little bit differently, but I think I have this, and, like, I would like assistance with it, 
is there anything we could do for me? And people would be like, like, the doctors would tell them, like, no, I don't think you have that. Like, it's probably just, like, generalized anxiety or whatever, instead of, like, autism. Like, with no, with no testing or anything? They would or, just flat out, like, like, no? With, like, sometimes people would say, like, they never got me tested. Like, it took forever to get them tested. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't let them get tested. Or they did the testing, and then it still came back. as like, no, I still don't think you're right. And so it's, like, the 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 believing people when they're telling their symptoms and also, like, the way that your culture and, like, your upbringing affects how people, like, perceive your symptoms and the accessibility Mm -hmm. to that of, like, are you actually going to believe me? Like, am I ever actually going to get diagnosed with the thing that, like, I'm pretty sure that I have, that Mm -hmm. everyone else, like, acts the same way and presents the same way? Like, I feel like a lot of people are really frustrated and then they lose hope because they're like, well, if no one's going to believe me, if no one's going to, like, help me, well, then why should I help myself? You know, mm-hmm. it's essentially uh, an overarching gaslighting of yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, and that goes supremacy. all around in every aspect of the medical field. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, uh, with black and brown now. women. Yeah, and black and brown people. Um, mm-hmm. It's a shame. Yeah. yeah, have you noticed any anything like in assistance to that, or like, or like in classes that you took, like besides that multi multicultural mm-hmm. class? My concern when it comes to like multicultural aspects in counseling there's two different things that can happen a lot of the times we'll see like something that is cultural like perhaps like um maybe like for in latinx communities like a lot of times we will do like house chores like a mm-hmm. lot like at a young age or things like that or we might present in certain like anxiety in a certain way or depression in a certain way and that can be easily dismissed by a therapist that's not trained in that um or the other way around we might consider those things as like, oh my gosh, they are symptomatic. Like they do have anxiety and depression <laughs> yeah. or like it might just be a norm for us. Yeah. Um, right. So those are the two aspects that can be sometimes concerning. It is incredibly frustrating when you go to people and like say, I need help. I need help. And I think that applies to everywhere, like mental health, physical health, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, OBGYNs. OBGYNs. And COVID, people of color were dying way more than white people at highly disproportionate rates, which is just so saddening and heartbreaking um, in those areas. So I do see that, unfortunately, um, a lot, like across everything. Um, But yeah, it's going back to the doctors and the (laughs) therapists. Like, I feel like that's where their responsibility really falls. Like, I don't think... Like, you have to advocate for yourself in that sense. Like, as a doctor or as a therapist or anything, it's your responsibility to be there for your patient or your client. Yeah. Um, so this goes back to them and their responsibility. Um, as a client or as a person that's seeking help is, I know this sounds really cliche and so stupid and so nothing, but, like, not give up on yourself. Yeah. Advocate for Don't yourself. Don't let up. Yeah. Be, yeah. if you know mm-hmm. there's something wrong, there's something there's wrong. There's something You yeah. know yourself best. You know yeah. your body best. You know your mind best. You know you know yourself better than anybody. Even if you've seen a therapist for 20 years, you know yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, so if something's up, just don't give up on yourself. Even if other people are giving up on you, it's, they're the ones that are failing on that, not yourself. Because that's as much as we can do. Because yeah. people suck. We love you. We have um, one last question. It's a very important question. We ask all of our guests this. Obviously, the name of our company is called Nida Dinidad. And now that we've been talking a little bit about how you're serving the Latinx community, what does Nida Dinidad mean to you? Good question. (laughs) It's been quite a journey with it, I feel. Um, When I first moved to the States, and I'll, I'll keep this short and sweet, 
But when I first moved to the States, um, one of the biggest things that I noticed was how much I wanted to hide my Latinidad. Like, I moved to Arizona. And, like, Arizona, there's a lot of white people there. <laughs> I was... People didn't know where Puerto Rico was. Like, they were like, a Puerto Rican? What is that? And, like, it was just so <laughs> many things. Whoa. Like, what is that? I don't get, like, we know Mexicans. And, like, that was people. It was quite an experience. Um, so a lot of the times I just wanted to be as white as possible. And, like, one of those things that happened was when I grew up, and I, I know you guys know this, like, I was very, I had a lot of tan. Like, I had a color in my skin. I don't anymore. That's just from living in Chicago. Yeah, Chicago has stripped away a lot of our color. But when we lived in Florida, baby, that (laughs) caramel looking beautiful. Shy City will like really beat it down into the ground. Uh You're gonna be looking fussed in Nigeria, man. Like ninety percent of the time. Yeah, we strip down to our undertones, just glow green. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Freaking sun will really do something. Um, but yeah. I had, you know, I had color on my skin, and then when I first moved to the States, it kind of started going away, and I, I got whiter and whiter as, like, the days came, and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> um, but then with time, I was like, yes, like, finally, like, I'm kind of mashing everybody around me. Um, I started changing my eye color, like, I put yeah, blue was, contact lenses on, and I would straighten my hair even more than I used to. I just like, wanted to ruin my family, um, and more about, like, just blending in. Um, it wasn't until... I don't even know what moment exactly but probably when I was in college already that's when I started learning I was like you know screw that like yeah. why like why would I want to do that I think we're fun we're feisty we have spice we have color we have yeah. all these things this music um and all this stuff and that's where I really started owning up like you know like this is who I am and there's not only is there nothing wrong with being who I am I freaking love it like, there's pride in there's, that yeah. there's pride in that like you know Puerto Ricans they're annoying yeah. as heck <laughs> like when it comes to being Puerto Rican I, I want to be shown up like a Puerto Rican when I met Jennifer I remember one of the first things she said to me I immediately said oh my god you have an accent where are you from and yeah. she immediately shut that down she was like I don't have an accent yeah. but with like the thickest accent type thing yeah. um <laughs> And she was like, oh, I'm, I'm from Puerto Rico. And I'm like, so late. Because, like, I'm like, I'm Dominican. Oh, my God. Yeah. We're going to be best friends. Oh and she was God. like, I don't have an accent problem. <laughs> <laughs> and like, the thing is, you were, like, the first person. Like, I had been in, in the States, like, over a year by then. Yeah. Because and she moved. She lived in Arizona for a year. I lived in Arizona for a year. Yeah, before she moved to Florida when we met. Yeah. And then we met there because it was my second semester. Yes. Yeah. It was a weird year. Anyway. <laughs> but you were the first person I met. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like. Caribbean, like, oh my god, I'm not being freaked out, but like being Puerto Rican, like, there's somebody yeah. I can talk to, and like, all this stuff, and like, this weird connection. I was like, I haven't had that in the year and a half that I've been mm-hmm. in the States, so it was thank you. I love you for that. I love you. How here we are. Besties for the rest. For real. For real. But yeah, no, I used to hide my, I would sit in front of the mirror, like, practice my accent, and, like, it still comes out here and there. It's probably come out here and there, but I own it now. I was like, now I was like, yes, like, that actually so reminds me of, like, where I come from. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's like it's somehow like flipped from like what I used to hide is now what I want to show off even more. It's like yeah. okay, this is like my accent comes out good because I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> I'm Puerto Rican. That, that's what that's it is. Nice. Like that's that's good. So so yes, now I don't wear blue contact lenses anymore. <laughs> Gracias a Dios. <laughs> Gracias a Dios. Yes. Don't get me wrong, we love a blue eye. Yeah, if and there are Latinos with blue eyes. My yes. boyfriend is a Dominican with blue eyes. There, there you go. go. There you have it. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Like. People, like, Latinx people come of all mm-hmm. shapes, sizes, colors. Like, yeah. you go to Puerto Rico, and it's, like, people will be, like, my mom, she's white with blonde hair and green eyes. It's, like, mm-hmm. you would never think, like, in America. Yeah. Like, but, but in Puerto Rico, it's, like, that will be That. <laughs>
Latinx um, therapy, all the fun stuff. So it'll all be on the bio. I'll be there. And yeah. And Jennifer Miranda on Instagram? Jennifer Miranda on Instagram. Yes. Yeah. She has the cutest dog. That's literally what I was about to say. <laughs> yes. um, her puppy Boone is often featured on the Instagram. Yes. If yes. You Boone also has an Instagram. Boone also has his own Instagram. So if you button. love mini Aussies, he's a panda-eyed mini Aussie with the sweetest, sweetest soul. And yes. he sings. Yes. And he yes. sings. And he's a Beyonce stand. Uh, he's a Beyonce stand. Yeah. We all Who isn't? As, as we all <laughs> If he wasn't, like, disowned. Back to the show. Yeah. <laughs> okay, y'all. So if you learned anything from today's episode, believe in yourself. You know yourself better than anyone. Seek help if and when you need it. And it's all going to be okay. Keep working on yourself. You're going to be with yourself for the rest of your life. We love you. We, we love, love you. you. Yeah. And we're here to support you, too. That's yes, the whole point. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us. Yes. Gracias. Thank you. Bye.